like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today, the Wadarung, the Wurundjeri and the Kamaragal people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Now, we have a very exciting guest with us for this episode, and that is the Director of Audio and Language Content at one of our two public broadcasters in Australia, SBS, otherwise known as the Special Broadcasting Service. David Hua, welcome to Language Chats. Thank you so much. So great to be with you. We are both long-time listeners and viewers of SBS content, so we are absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, before we get into talking about SBS and your role there, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your cultural and linguistic heritage? Sure, I'd be happy to. My um, my parents were born in Vietnam. Uh, my dad's heritage is Chinese. And um, I was recently in Los Angeles for a funeral, and that's on my dad's side. So my dad's side migrated to America. My mum's side's mostly in Australia, although because we're migrants, we're refugees, and we um, come from a, a, a place of, of war, um, it's really impacted the spread of my family. So we've got people all over the world, really. And um, I was thinking about it, it's it's a bit of, it's obviously a blessing insofar as having a large family that you care for. But when you think about a migrant experience here in Australia or around the world, then it is an overhead in terms of just your life and your planning and, you know, how you take leave in order to just interact and connect with those bonds. I'm someone who uh, really values relationships and I think it's a great shame when my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, they're gone, but my parents' generation is still with us. But the funeral that I went to was my dad's youngest sister. And I'm pretty sure that once my dad goes, the connection that I have to my cousins in um, California is going to just be diminished substantially. So, you know, you make the opportunity to be able to connect. And um, my dad's side comes from uh, mainland China. They moved from um, a place in southern China called Jiuzhou uh, and then moved to northern Vietnam when the Japanese uh, were invading China at the time, so in the 1930s. They happily settled in the north of Vietnam, but then the north became communist, so they actually moved to the southern part of Vietnam to a place called Da Nang, which is where I was born. And then the south, of course, we know what happened uh, there. And so from there, our family moved to Hong Kong to be in a refugee camp for um, uh, the better part of a year before being sponsored to live in Wiradjuri land, which is uh, Western New South Wales, which is where I spent um, some of my younger years. So it's been a journey of migration certainly. And, you know, whatever might happen in Australia in the future, we might end up in New Zealand or in Antarctica is the family joke. I like that. <laughs> so, David, given that you've, you've, I guess, got this family cultural diversity just within your own immediate family, in terms of languages, how do you choose to communicate and what languages have you grown up speaking or have you learnt over time? Yeah. Um, so I do reflect on this because I, I, I came to Australia 
pretty young and we landed in a in the Riverina region on Wiradjuri land and as I was learning English I really believe that I should have been learning Wiradjuri at the same time and I'm really passionate about languages which is why this podcast is so amazing but you know um there are four over 400 languages being spoken in Australia we've got incredible linguistic diversity um uh there are over 150 First Nations languages being spoken as well. Many of those are under pressure. Many, many um, have been in recess or uh, are sleeping at the moment. Um, and I think that's a great shame because language plays such an important role in culture and identity. My own experience is that my father's lineage being Chinese, we spoke Cantonese with my dad at home and my mum is ethnic Vietnamese so we spoke Vietnamese at home with her. Um, we being my brother, sister and myself so there were three of us in the family and I probably say that my most comfortable language is the language, the mongrel tongue that I speak with my brother and sister when we're together. Because we will throw in words in Vietnamese or English and then Cantonese and then Vietnamese. And, you know, others, are, even our parents are kind of looking at us going, you know, we haven't taught you very well, have we? Um, but <laughs> others would just be curious about, you know, how we're just communicating. And it's all automatic. So um, that's probably the cohort in terms of my own personal identity that I feel most comfortable with. And I'm very lucky that I've got a good relationship with my siblings, but it's that language that I feel most comfortable with. I do listen to SBS in Vietnamese, in Cantonese and in Mandarin as well. I must say I'm one of those kids who hated, hated, hated going to Chinese school on the weekends. Um, because it was something very, very forced. And I, you know, as soon as I say that to a lot of uh, migrant kids, um, it's almost an immediate bond, whether it's with Macedonian speakers, Greek speakers, or Tamil speakers, or whatever else. They hate the fact that they've got to sacrifice their weekends for the learning of a parent language. But um, by golly, once you hit your 20s, you just go... Yep, mum and dad were right, really should have paid more attention in uh, weekend language school. So I'm very, very privileged to be able to um, still be able to exercise my language because you lose it very, very quickly, right? And you can learn it very, very quickly when you immerse yourself in another country, another culture, another um, linguistic cohort. And I'm very, very fortunate and privileged to actually have language as part of my work. And um, that's uh, such a privilege and a joy to be able to learn new phrases, new greetings, and through that, an immersion in culture, which is um, so exciting and so unique to an Australian experience. Speaking of um, that, I guess, very unique kind of work culture that you do have at SVS, how did you decide to get into the media in Australia? What inspired you to um, follow a path um, in that direction for your career? I've always loved stories and I've always loved and believe in the ability of stories to connect people 
um, in a positive way. And what I mean by that is to eliminate misunderstanding between cultures and between individuals. It's actually very, very hard to loathe someone as much as you might disagree with them if you're actually staring them in the face, if you're actually sharing a meal with them and you're telling them your life story and you're genuinely hearing their life story. I think that, um, therefore, the the need for stories and good, unique stories is something that just drew me towards journalism, towards radio, towards film and television, or towards media more broadly. I can't say that my parents and my community were particularly enraptured and thrilled by my um, choice of subjects in tertiary education. And that's something that I'm very, very cognizant of for a lot of people in from diverse backgrounds in Australia and around the world, because they don't necessarily see or culturally they're not brought up in a community where, you know, the arts is particularly valued um, or that the media is necessarily trusted. And so as much as I rankled and disagreed with my parents in terms of my choices at that early stage, I did understand that from their experience, media is really, really dangerous territory, you know, and we forget that journalists get killed around the world trying to do their work. And, you know, you're drawing a journalist's salary as well in expensive Sydney, expensive Melbourne, expensive Hobart and expensive Australia. And there's a lot of sacrifice and personal motivation that needs to go into, you know, whatever success might look like in this world. Um, I was told on the first day of film studies, for example, by my lecturer, you know, she actually got up and said to us, bright-eyed and brushy-tailed cohort, and we felt like we were in some sort of fame school, but she actually got up and said to us, you know what, if you want functional relationships going into the future, if you want to have a healthy spine, if you want to have a good relationship with your offspring, don't go into the film and television industry. And like, we just all kind of looked at each other and just kind of, well, thanks for the pep talk, but, you know, some of the important considerations in terms of any career choice for anyone is the context that you operate in, right? Do you have ageing parents that you've got to be looking after? Do you have, um, you know, what are, what are your personal circumstances? It is actually a lot of lugging around of red lights and heavy camera equipment, sandbags galore, and a lot of negotiation with people to do work for you and then you do work on their their projects. And a newsroom as well from the journalism perspective, gosh, it wears you out. You know, you're chasing stories. There is an absolute thrill to it and the adrenaline is there, but um, it it can certainly wear you out as well. So it's, you've got to have the right sort of energy levels. You've got to have the right sort of health. You've got to have the right sort of network around you to be able to make the sorts of choices that help you to succeed um, in whatever it is that you want to do. But my passion was always storytelling and I just adore the fact that there are so many stories that get 
pumped out at SBS, especially on SBS audio and radio services, um, every single day. So going back a few years when you, you graduated uni and you were still probably, you know, <laughs> fresh and, and ready for anything, where did you land and where did you go first in terms of your career? Yeah, so university was interesting for me. I uh, absolutely wanted to work in film, television, radio, media and journalism, but I just didn't kind of know what field exactly. And, you know, um, being of Asian heritage, I wasn't necessarily seeing or hearing uh, uh, people who might I might aspire to be. Um, having said that, Annette Shonwar, friend of mine, fantastic. She was just a great host on um, Australian kids TV in the 80s um, and great to see that representation. But there was a subject that I did called hypermedia in those days, which was all about interactive media. And it was about, at that time, producing content, video, images and text for output on these things called CD-ROMs. And you know, you put a CD in, it had 64 megabytes worth of information on it, and you could click from one page to another page, and you could watch a stamp-sized video of something, and you could see an image, and you could embed a link underneath of it, so you could have this interactive journey. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is really fun. It's really interesting. It plays to the science part of my brain. And of course, at that time as well, a thing called the internet was just changing people's lives. Dial up for me at that time um, and would, you know, anger everybody in the household by being online and chatting to people from all over the world. But that incredible ability to be able to connect through fibre optic cable, through copper wires at that time as well, for people right around the world and to share stories and to interact and to grow your mind and grow your 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 um, thinking just really, really resonated with me. So I jumped in as being a producer and a developer of websites and interaction. And that was a great time because it was just at the flourishing point of this sort of media and that skill was just kind of um, really useful for media organisations, including the ABC, where I spent a good, a very long part of my career before coming to to the role that I'm in right now. Um, for those listening who are not aware of SBS and or live outside of Australia, potentially, could you explain what SBS is, how it came to exist and the role that it holds within the Australian sort of broadcast landscape? Sure. SBS is globally unique. And I think that as Australians, we should be really proud of the fact that we had the foresight and the thinking to be able to commission and have a corporation or a service like SBS. I love the origin story of SBS. It started out as two radio stations in Sydney and in Melbourne, 2EA and 3EA, for the EA standing for Ethnic Australia. And it was commissioned because in the mid-70s, Australia was rolling out a new healthcare system, which was called Medibank, now known as Medicare. And 
all parts of Australia needed to understand how to go and see a doctor, how to go and go to a hospital, because health is one of those things where you're only as good as your weakest link in the community. And everybody, we want, of course, to um, have uh, good health outcomes. So the there were two licenses that were issued um, and they were for three months in Sydney and Melbourne and it was commissioned. We had originally, it was a cohort of volunteer broadcasters who actually got behind the microphone and from those very, very humble beginnings talking about, you know, how to um, uh, be well, uh, they added content about community, they added news, they added music. And then I was reading a history of SBS and one of the stories was that when um, there was a Turkish truck driver in Sydney and, you know, doing the dial shifting in the car and he was driving through the middle of a busy intersection and he came across the Turkish language being broadcast on to EA at that time. And he was overwhelmed by a sense of joy of hearing Turkish. So he stopped the car in the intersection, got out and started to dance, right? Just from the sheer exuberance of a sense of joy and belonging. And I think we now really take for granted and we underestimate the type of value that language, especially broadcast in Australian media at that time um, and the role that that played in delivering a sense of belonging for people. And I love stories like that. There's plenty of others across the 60 plus languages that we've got. And SBS delivers these languages to a targeted domestic audience. It is not about international um, diplomacy or soft power or any of those things like um, other multilingual broadcasters. SBS is very, very much designed to support, to inform, to educate and entertain Australians who come from a multicultural and multilingual background. I kind of think about what we did during the pandemic and I'm sorry to have to raise COVID, but um, it's almost like this moment where SBS's original purpose of being commissioned around, you know, the health of the community was really, really showcased during the pandemic and how important it was for SBS to actually do not only the re-expression and the translation of public health messages and to do the um, live um, uh, interpreting of press conferences from our leaders to give people timely information, but to also tell the stories that were important for people to be able to make the right sorts of decisions about their healthcare. To add to that as well, we live in an age which we're calling, you know, post-truth in journalism, and we live in a at a time when people don't really want to look on the other side of, you know, the ideological spectrum and to engage with people who might disagree with them. And we live in a world where social media services our own preferences and reinforces our own worldview rather than challenging them. So SBS's role 
in terms of the health of the Australian community. It's more important than ever in terms of balanced entertainment, education and information services. So it's beyond just language services because the landscape that we have we play in now compared to the 70s when SPS was commissioned, very, very different to what it is now. You can get Turkish, you can get Chinese, you can get Italian from all over the world. Why would you come to SPS? It really is because we provide that Australian context. We're trusted, we're balanced, and I think that's where we um, have such a valuable role um, in playing, and it's only more important, not less important. In your role at SPS as the Director of Audio and Language Content, I know there must be a gazillion things that sit under you. What are some of, I guess, the projects and and things that you are most excited about or most proud about at uh, SBS in your in your part of, of SBS world? Yeah, I'm really proud of the fact that just this week we had um, some audio and some uh, digital content published in Telugu um, just this week. And Telugu is a language from South Asia and uh, it's a remarkable thing to actually start a new service and start a new language for a community that is uh, large and growing in Australia. I'm also really proud of the fact that we're also going to be commissioning Islama, which is a language spoken in uh, Vanuatu, uh, Tetum, which is a language spoken in Timor-Leste, um, uh, Malay, and Oromo, which is uh, spoken in um, East Africa. These language communities, in the case of Bislama and Tetum and Oromo in particular, they're not large. And I'm extremely proud of the fact that as a community and as a country, we actually see value in commissioning services for a potential handful of thousands of listeners. So for SBS, it's, you know, we talk about public service and this is true public service. It's something that we should all be really, really proud of because um, there are communities who want to understand how to go and see a doctor, how to buy medicine in a pharmacy, how to swim between the flags at an Australian beach, what bushfire, bushfire protection you might need for your home and how to um, shop in a supermarket, how to get a Medicare card. All of those life skills are what will will be sharing editorially in some of these languages. And we should be really, I'm really proud of the fact that we've got um, services for communities which are large, like our Mandarin speaking community, over 650,000 speakers and Arabic over 350,000, but also for our small ones. And um, we should all be um, really pleased that this work is actually being done because it is absolutely for the betterment of, um, of all Australians. I'm also really proud of this week is NAIDOC week and we have an Elevate Reconciliation Action Plan here at SBS. I'm the co-chair of that um, plan and the work that we've got to do in this space is incredibly ambitious but it is very important to reconciliation in this country. So I'm a really strong believer. I was just talking to our Macedonian executive producer and we were talking about 
the stories that she's doing and she was talking about how in Macedonian culture everybody's an auntie and an uncle if you're older and she was talking about how that's so similar to First Nations communities. It's also very, very similar in Asian communities, South Asian communities and others as well. So what are the stories between multicultural, multilingual Australia, or as our managing director calls them, newest Australians with our first Australians? How can we actually tell that story as SPS and those stories and build that um, understanding, build that relationship and that uh, responsibility to reconciliation so that all of Australia can benefit from um, from reconciliation. I think a lot of migrants like myself, my parents, others around think that reconciliation is not our responsibility. We came after um, others, other migrants that came before, um, and therefore it's not our job. In fact, we've been here in the case of Chinese Australians for 200 years, a very, very long time. There is that responsibility. And I'm a firm believer in trying to build into our psyche that reconciliation is is all of our responsibility. We've got a role to play in this and it starts with understanding that that is the case and it can be built and um, supported by narratives and by stories and allyship around being minority or around being dispossessed from land or by being different. All of those things are very, very similar experiences which we can um, build on and which SBS certainly has a role to play. I was really happy to see actually um, in this week, which is NAIDOC week at the time of recording, of course, um, that SBS actually has available um, an acknowledgement of country in I think it's probably about 40 or so languages um, to show that I suppose people who do maybe work or communicate in another language in Australia can recognise the traditional owners of the land on which they're perhaps meeting on or gathering on um, in their language as well um, and that SBS provides that um I suppose that framework and perhaps, and I think it's got an example as well of what an acknowledgement of country is, as well as an example, sorry, um, a description of what it actually means. So why do we acknowledge country and why is that recognition important? Which I think for, as you said, for lots of other people who are newer Australians and have come into um, this environment, sometimes a big question that comes up is why do you do this? Um, why, Why do you acknowledge country and what is it for? Um, and obviously those who have listened is. to our podcast, yeah, for those who have listened to our um, podcast for quite some time, you'll know that we started doing Acknowledgement of Country at the beginning and that's because it's important to us as well to, to have that recognition. Um, but yes, this question does come up a lot with people when they do arrive in Australia and they go, oh, you know, what is this? What is this custom? <laughs> um, I am really proud of the fact that... Um, Beyond measures of things like 6 million podcast downloads per month, which is great for um, for for us as an organisation and for our audiences, the impact of what it is that we do is not measured in just strict numbers. And the acknowledgement of country that we've rolled out on all of our language programs across all 60 um, plus languages is something that does 
spark curiosity in our listeners and they will ask us about why we're doing this, what does it mean, and that really is a measure of impact. One of the really proud moments that I've had in this job is to hear from um, you know, the community that speaks Malayalam, which is a language in South Asia, say that they've used SBS's acknowledgement of country for their community meetings, right? And so that's never going to be captured as a unique visitor or as a podcast download or as any of those kind of measures of reach or share or revenue that might be um, important to many organisations, including ours, but it is a measure of incredible impact. And, you know, that's the sort of um, work that uh, it's done by our producers and the team here, which I'm really, really proud of. So as you know, David, um, Beck and I are big into podcasts in general, and I know that podcasts are a huge part of now what SPS focus on and deliver. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what SBS, you know, because they're early adopters in the whole podcasting world in terms of getting audio content out there and not only in, you know, in all these other amazing languages. What is the thinking behind the, I guess, the mission behind the podcasting program at SBS? Oh, it's really to extend and support and nurture great audio experiences and listening. I think that the relationship that audiences have with human voices and with stories that are told orally um, is has a has a really unique role in media consumption. And for a lot of Australians, downloading a podcast and having a listen to it is a very natural habit and it's growing. But for a lot of places around the world, it isn't. And in some cases, the work that we do at SBS is not only to produce the compelling content and to distribute it on platforms that audiences might be consuming on, but also to handhold some of our audiences into a habit or places where they can listen to podcasts. In some cases, when we are out and about in communities, we actually help people to download the SBS Audio app or just to show them on Apple and Spotify, which they're already listening to music on, how to actually find our language content. Mm. And sometimes people will go, you know, SBS Greek, it's for Nonna and Popper, it's not for me. Or SBS Italiano, not for me, but, you know, happily will sit with, with grandma and grandpa or my parents if they're listening. But then, you know, you introduce them to slow Italian fast learning or to a Greek podcast and they will know that it is something for them. So the podcast strategy is very much about ensuring that there's ongoing relevance for the great work that we do and the storytelling that we've produced um, and the quality storytelling that we've produced over, over decades. We're also just... Uh, very, very keen to be able to hear from our audiences and to participate with our audiences. SBS is, our producers are from the communities that we actually serve. And that's a really um, 
a really important point of pride for all of us as well. And we've got a podcast call out at the moment where audience members or producers of podcasts can actually submit their ideas to work alongside us. So it's not just SBS and our producers coming up with great ideas, but we're actually working with community to be able to tell stories that, you know, you just wouldn't otherwise be able to tell. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and then one one final question for you, I suppose, in the context of everything that you've said today. How do you think that rep- representation of culturally and linguistically diverse Australians has changed over the years? Um, and do we still have a really long way to go in in making sure that we are all represented in the media that we see today in Australia? I think when you talk about something like representation, um, it becomes quite a, a very subjective individual community experience. So, you know, you're going to ask someone, do you feel represented in Australian media? They might say, absolutely, because I see myself on TV or radio or whatever else. Um, and Or I hear myself and I hear these accents. Um, or I see names on media bylines and the like. You ask somebody else and it will be a very, very different story. I think overall um, it is improving and there are studies done by Media Diversity and by others who will point to a lot of work that still needs to be done in certain parts of the media. I think what's important, though, when we think about media is that while we live in Australia, we're consuming media from everywhere. And so what does that actually mean to be represented or not represented? I think these are some important questions which I don't have the answers to. but people might very well be seeing themselves represented on Korean, on the screens in Australia because they're consuming Korean content, right? And I think the sliver that sometimes we have, that we study in terms of news or TV in Australia might, is absolutely important, but it may not be all of what's being consumed by Australians. And therefore, what are the measures of being able to, I think, talk about an Australian identity and talk about how we can be inclusive and how we can have shared experiences in a way that unites and uh, provides social cohesion as opposed to the challenge of this age, which is that media consumption is so fragmented that people can consume anything from anywhere and actually not necessarily be consuming any Australian media whatsoever. So does representation actually then matter in some ways? So these are big questions, right? I don't necessarily have the answer, but I think um, it's important to have all of those consideration points so that how Australian media, in fact, can be competitive in this world um, where choice is boundless and the need for quality Australian stories that provide us with a shared sense of identity is the work that actually needs to be done across the media landscape. Yes, wonderful answer to a very difficult question. Thank you. (laughs) David, before we let you go, is there somewhere that you would like to direct listeners to 
to find out more about SBS in general or if they would like to connect with you directly? Is there somewhere if you if you would like to? <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm, I hardly use um, social media anymore for a number of different reasons. Um, but, yes, they can certainly DM me on Twitter and then that is a great way of connecting. Um, and uh, certainly sbs.com.au is the place to be able to find SBS-related material, and that's across the, the board. Oh, thank you, David. We really appreciate you giving up your time today to come and speak to us on Language Chats. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Language Chats. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, then you can go to our website at www.languagelovers.com.au. You can also find us in the normal internet places. We're on Facebook, languagelovers.au, and also on Instagram, languagelovers.au. Um, if you'd also like to get involved in the conversation a little bit more, um, we have a Facebook community um, and you can find our group at Language Lovers AU Community. We would love to see you there. And don't forget you can subscribe to Language Chat so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you have a quick 30 seconds, we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review. We read every comment and we love hearing from you. Please don't forget to share the episode with other language learners that you know who might find some value in our chat today. And we can't wait until the next episode. See you then. See you next time.